podcast where we explore all the gay possibilities of pop culture. I'm your host, Anya. I'm bi. Uh, my pronouns are she, her. And these are my two guests today. I'm Nathaniel. <laughs> I'm Laura and or Wally. <laughs> all right. So today um, I am bringing to the table Legally Blonde. <laughs> so hopefully y'all have seen Legally Blonde, but if you haven't, um, it's about a girl named Elle Woods, who is like a sorority president, at, basically at UCLA. They don't call it UCLA, but it's, it's UCLA. And <laughs> she just, you know, has this boyfriend named Warner who she's in love with. And she goes on this date with him. She thinks that he's going to propose, and he breaks up with her because he needs a more serious girlfriend um, because he's going to law school and his parents have all these expectations of him. Who fucking cares? Um, so he he just yeah breaks up with her and she is distraught and depressed and so she decides that to become serious she needs to go to law school too. So basically, this is like white privilege the movie because she has like no qualifications and she gets into Harvard. Um, she like wears a bikini in her video and they're like hmm okay. Whatever. So she gets into Harvard and she shows up and she keeps trying to like stage these run-ins with Warner, her her ex, so that she can be like, look, I'm serious now. And so she runs into him and he's like, wait, you got into Harvard Law? And she's like, what? Like, it's hard? So that's iconic. the iconic line, yeah. Um, <laughs> so she uh, runs into him. She starts going to classes and in this one class, her professor is, you know, basically there's all these scenes where she's kind of like a fish out of water at law school. So she's, she shows up to class and she doesn't have a laptop. She's got like this little notebook that's a heart shaped with like a little pen with a little puff ball of feathers on the top and she's just writing notes. And so there's all these scenes like that and her professor comes up to her and asks her a question about the assignment and she doesn't know what the professor is talking about because she didn't know that there was an assignment. And so the professor calls her out in front of everybody and asks one of the other students, like, hey, do you think it's fair that she was unprepared? And the student is like, no, no, I don't. And, you know, the villain origin story here. And so she leaves class, and she's a little distraught. She meets Emmett, which is, you know, who cares? And <laughs> <laughs> so we find out that, um, so Warner comes and meets her in this courtyard. And he's like, what are you doing here? And she's like, I go here now, you know? I'm here. And then the mean girl from class shows up and like puts her arm around him. And she's got the she's got the rock on her hand. And she's like, wait, who's this? And he's like stumbling over his words and she's like, I'm his fiance, Vivian Kensington. <laughs> and <laughs> and so basically that's the, you know, we're supposed to think of her as the bad guy, but 
I think that they're in love. <laughs> Basically, so they uh, get together and um, like they continue going to law school, all that good stuff. And then there's one professor who has this like internship. It's like a prestigious internship at the school. And so she's trying to get in, Warner's trying to get in, Vivian's trying to get in. Of course, they all get in, because what would this movie be without that? And so they all get into this internship. And through the internship, they start to sort of, like Vivian and Elle start to become friends because they're both dealing with like the misogyny of being in this workplace where they're constantly asked to go get coffee when nobody else is and like all the men are able to do actual law work and they're not. And so basically they start to become friends. Their romance builds. It just, it, it builds. And um, they continue to become friends. And there's also something notable that I want to talk about, which is there are three explicitly queer characters in this movie. One is this like caricature, they're all caricatures, we'll just get that out there. First, it's a caricature of a feminist named Enid, and she's like, yeah, I, I graduated from Berkeley in women's studies with, a, with an emphasis in combat. <laughs> and she like is just always talking somebody's ear off about something ridiculous, like, the, they call it the semester, which is so male-centric. Next year, I'm, I'm uh, petitioning to, to have it called the female Ovester instead of the semester. And I definitely get turf vibes from her. Um, so yeah, we, we, we think she's a turf. And then um, there's also, like at the salon, there is like a gay character that's just like, oh, honey, that kind of gay. <laughs> and you're just like, oh. Come on, and he has no name. He's just there for you know flavor. And it's the same thing with like people of color in the movie. Uh, there's like one black person in a law class, and then there's like three women of color at the hair salon, and I'm just like, nobody has speaking lines. It's a, <laughs> it's a shame. And then there is the other explicitly queer character who comes in later in the movie. His name's Enrique, and he's a caricature as well. So we just get, you know, all this, this fun, sad stuff. <laughs> but basically, they continue to become friends. And uh, they're there after hours one night at the law firm working. And uh, Vivian's like, oh, hey, the professor wants to see you. You know, um, He already has his coffee, but maybe he needs a donut. And so she's like, aha, OK. So she goes and meets with him. And he like pat makes a pass at her and like tries to feel her up, essentially. And while he's like feeling her up, Vivian walks past and sees it through the door and assumes that she's like sleeping with the boss and that's how she's gotten to where she is when really it's just that she's smart as shit. And so she confronts her at the elevator while Elle is like in this elevator distraught that you know she's been sexually harassed in the workplace. And she's like, well, you know, you're sleeping with the boss. We, we all know how you got there now. And so you know they break up and it's, a, it's just traumatic, you know. And so the um, so Elle just like quits the job, and the they're working this like big law case. And so when she quits, the defendant is like, "Wait, where's Elle?" And they're like, "Well, she quit." And um, the Vivian is like, "Yeah, she looked pretty cozy with uh, you know the professor last night." And the guy next to her is like, "You don't know what you're talking about. He made a pass at her and felt felt her up. Like she quit because she didn't want to be around him anymore." And so it, she ends up, you know, 
firing the shitty dude and hiring Elle as her attorney. And it's like this huge triumphant scene where they win the case because of Elle's like cosmopolitan knowledge. And um, Warner comes up to her and is like, oh my God, you're amazing in there. I love you. Let's get back together. And she's like, fuck you. Um, no, I'm with Vivian now. <laughs> Just kidding. But that's how it should have gone. So I think it should have been like an enemies to lovers scenario, you know, where the Vivian and her just, they hate each other, but then they realize that they were the lovers all along, you know? Because Vivian is way more developed as a character than Warner ever is. Oh, yeah, Like, absolutely. he's just like a cardboard cut out of a white boy. And that's his entire role in the movie. And, like, Vivian is just so much more established. And they're, like, friend breakup, you know, over a big misunderstanding. I mean, like, that's a classic rom-com trope, right? You know, like, the third act breakup and, like, preemptant get-together. That's a romance trope. Yeah, absolutely. And it's just one of those things where... It would have been so easy to do. You know, like they could have easily been, she could have still been into Warner or whatever, but then she would have realized wait, I'm gay. <laughs> <laughs> Actually, <laughs> Selma Blair is the one for me. And yeah, I think that's the way it should have gone. Honestly, same. Yep. So that's Legally Blonde, the queer version. Um, next, we've got Nathaniel. Hello. Wait, can everybody hear me? Huh? Okay. <laughs> Sorry, I'm not used to talking on a microphone, so you're going to have to bear with me for a second. Uh, I'm doing, uh, my movie is Hot Fuzz, which I think is one of the greatest love stories that's ever been told. It's like, there's so much, it's, if, for those who don't know, it is the second installment in what is called the Cornetto Trilogy, which are a series of films written and yeah, written by Edgar Wright and Simon Pegg, produced by Naira Park, and uh, directed by Edgar Wright. And then Simon Pegg and Nick Frost act in them. Though those are, that's a focal point. I'm talking about their chemistry because they their chemistry is off the charts. Like there, it's just every movie they're in, every single movie in the Cornetto trilogy would have been better if they had leaned into that and been like, yeah, no, that, they could be in a relationship because it's just like it's, you wouldn't question it. It just makes sense. Meant to be. Absolutely. Yeah. Oh man. Yeah. No, it's just I have ten pages of notes. Which yeah. Can we pause we're and just admire them, so the highlighted, yeah, double-sided notes, Nathaniel has? <laughs> this, is, this is all for you. Thank you. I really appreciate it. What a nerd. Yeah. You love it. So, yeah, no, we start our story. Our story uh, starts with Sergeant, or at the time, Police Constable Nicholas Angel, who's part of the Metropolitan Police Force in London. And he's so good at his job and just so, like, exemplary and spectacular that they're like, hey, Dude, you're making us look bad, so we're sending you out to the country. You're going to retire early because we can't have you making us look bad. And she's like, okay. Like, and then it's just like, what if one of the departments hears about this? And everybody's just like, oh, no, no, goodbye. Like, so it's like he, he's like, he's this character. He's kind of like a well, angel. They lean into it where he has this purity about him. And he, uh, like, that, that, that's his, his essence. So he moves to the country. And he, uh, the first night there, he's in this bar. And... Uh, but he, he, he sees all these underage kids drinking. And he's just like, oh, wait, wait, oh, come on. And he kicks them all out. And he's just like, and the bartenders are just like a little upset with him. And he's going, he's walking out, and it's dispersing. And he, like, Danny Butterman, he's played by Nick Frost. Oh, yeah, Simon Pegg plays Nicholas Angel. So just in case anybody was wondering. But yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, no. Uh, so he sees him wasted trying to get into his car. He's like, you're not going to drive that home, are you? And he's like, oh, no, 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 wouldn't dream of it. And so he, he pans back to Simon Pegg, and Simon Pegg's just there enjoying this fountain. 
picking up on a clue that because his brain never stops working, and all of a sudden, and he like jumps out of the way, saves his own life, and arrests him there on the spot, and is like, hey, like, uh, you're arrested. Uh, where's the where's the police station? Can you take <laughs> me to the police station? Like, so it's like that's where they meet, and yeah, no, from that moment, like he he shows up the next day to talk to him at work. He's like, I need I need the inebriate and sulfur. I need to talk to the inebriate and sulfur. And he's like, he opens his own uh, cell for him. He's like. Oh, where is he? Where is he? Where is he? And I just thought that that moment when their kid's like, wait, what's, wait, what? It's like, why are you dressed up like a police officer? It's like, because I am a police officer. So it's like. <laughs> so the drunk man from the night before is a police officer. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah, so it's just like, there, there's no way that you're the same as me. We're not the same. No, no, no. But after that, like, they have their first day and uh, they all have lunch at the department together. And uh, they joke about, oh, he got stabbed in, like, He's just like, no, no, it's a very serious thing. Like, this trauma is very serious. Like, and after, like, all of that kind of like, boils down, like, Danny uh, scoots closer to him. He's like, what was it like being stabbed? He's like, it was the single most painful experience in my life. And he's like, what was the second one? Because, like, out of nowhere, he's just, just trying to get to know him better. And he's just kind of like. So sweet. Yeah, yeah, no, it's just like this little sweet interaction. So and, earnest. <laughs> yeah, no. And he like continues to ask him all these questions, and even though they seem like just truly trivial and just like totally absurd, he's just like he wants to get to know him better. And uh, hold on, yeah, no, so uh, yeah, so and then that yeah, hold on, yeah, <laughs> we, we're, got, we gotta look at the notes. Pause yeah, to gotta, consult the notes. I gotta check the record real quick, but uh, yeah, so yeah, no, it, but it's like yeah, no, after that, pretty much they end up kind of getting, it's pretty much Danny's dad is the head dude. He's the main police kind of guy. And he kind of like sets them up together to where they're walking the beat together. And they have this moment in the car where they're clocking people who are coming down the, the roadway in order to make sure that they're obeying the traffic laws. And he, he, he talks about Point Break and he's just like, yeah, there's this amazing scene in Point Break where uh, he has a yeah, he goes to shoot Swayze, but can't because he loves him so much. And he's firing his gun up in the air. He's like, ah, and have you ever fired your gun up in the air and gone, ah? And he like looks at him with like this, this, this absurd question. But like, the, I don't know, the way I look at it, he's just like, have you ever loved somebody so much that you're willing to put everything that you have on the line, sacrifice everything, even if you know it's wrong, just because you love this person so much? And it's just like, I, after watching it for the 20th time this week, I was just like, man, like, it's like, oh my God. And it's just like, it just like pick up, picks up from there. Like, yeah, no, like later. And he basically forces him to watch Point Break and Bad Boys 2 back to back, which are like the gayest movies ever. Yeah, yeah, no, it, it's just, yeah, it's incredible. That's the, well, that's the first time they spend the night together, but you know. Yeah, so yeah. Cute. yeah it's like, so like that that happens and the cool thing about it is like as it goes on like you have this person who just can't slow down who's always going and then this other dude who's just like been directionless for the most part and they kind of bring together bring each other together and better themselves and absolutely like just yeah ideal like, relationship yeah. partner yeah no it's like but yeah, no, they they end up going uh, like he and also Danny is like the first person who's really stuck up for Angel because everybody's just like kind of like constantly making him look bad and they're like, oh, he's a fucking dick. Like, no, no, we don't want. It was like he's just like you're really amazing at what you do, but you need to turn how, learn how to turn off that vague melon of yours. Like, he's just 
Uh, yeah, no, but yeah, no, they end up going on dates, and it, like, it, it's pretty, yeah, no, don't fucking, don't trip me, it's like, those are dates, like, they're going to the pub, he's like, he gets drunk for the first time with them, like, like, they have this very sweet and tender moment, they have a big day where they find this, a barn full of artillery, like, a, there's a sea mine in there, and it, it like, they, they're like, yeah, no, he finally's like, hey, you want to go to the pub? And it's like, yeah, yeah, let's go to the pub, and they, add, like, it's like, so what made you want to become a police officer? And that's the first time that he like disengages. You like, you could see him turn off his brain and like earnestly think about it and give him this answer, which is like, well, when I was a kid, like I had this pedal car and my uncle bought me this pedal car. And from that moment, I, I had a sense of right and wrong and I was arresting kids twice my size. <laughs> and like, but it's just like, oh man, that sounds like a great guy. He's like, no, he sold drugs to students. He's like, oh, what a dick. Like, <laughs> But it's like from that moment, I, I let that pedal car rust. But I never lost my sense of right or wrong. And then, and, and you can just like see the hard eyes in Danny's eyes uh, when he's like listening oh to him man. talk about it. You're just like, yeah. No, it's like, and then, yeah, he reverses the question. He's like, so, what made you want to become a police officer? And Danny responds, like, well, after we lost my mom, like, shit was real tough. So like, my dad wanted me to be real close to him. So I just decided to do what he did. And it's just like, sorry, like how like. How did, how did that happen? It's like, oh, traffic collision. And like, so it's like very like vague and but like it gets really serious for a second and solemn and you could see their eyes look at each other and then all of a sudden you just put the ketchup packet. It's like, a, he stabs himself in the eye. I, I didn't mean to say ketchup packet. That was the punchline of it. But <laughs> he, like they disengages this, uh, like he disengages this tension and then they go on and for the first time in it, they're both really kind of letting go and like just kind of like spending time with together. And then after that long night, they end up at each other's house, and it's in front of Danny's house. He's like, "Hey, you want to come in for like a cup of coffee?" He's like, "Oh, no, no caffeine after midday. Like, uh, like cup of tea? Like, no, 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 no caffeine. It's like another beer." He's like, "Okay," and like, <laughs> like they have this moment, like they're really close on the couch. Just like, he's talking about like, you know what your problem is? You need to turn your your head off. He's just like, "I don't know if I can do that." And they longingly look at each other's eyes. He looks at his lips, like, "I know what to do," and he gets up and he shows his DVD collection. He's like. Point Break or Bad Boys Two? He's just like, wait, what? It's like, he's asking which one I want to, which one I want to watch. He's like, no, I want to. I'm asking you which one you want to watch first. It's like they're about to marathon these movies together. Yeah, no, and it's just it ends. The night ends sweetly. They there, there's like a sea of beer cans, and they're both like passed out into each other, and like it's like the sweetest, like a little most tender moment, like. Mm. But yeah, hold on real quick. Uh, you have to talk about the peace building. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh man, yeah, yeah, no. So yeah, uh, the, the angel has this peace lily that he brings with him from England to the country, like from the London to the country, and he like he takes care of it. He shows up with it, and everybody thinks it's weird that he has this plant, um, but he brings it with him, and he's like, yeah, I've been, I've been keeping this alive. And then later in the movie, he um, goes to the floral shop and buys Danny a, a peace lily, and it's the sweetest thing. He's there, well, you know, somebody gets murdered right in front of him when that happens, but, you know, it's sweet. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's a classic, it... like, a couple, like, I want this person to be in the same thing, into the same things that I'm into. It's very cute. Oh, yeah. And I, there's, like, throughout the entire movie, because it's, like, it's a, it's a buddy cop film. So, like, there's, usually there's toxic masculinity that's inherent, but the, one of the cool things about this movie is their love and everything is so pure that you just like never really question it and it's just like such a positive example because it's not like like yeah like there's caricatures of people and there are there are problematic elements but what they're doing is they're trying to create the model village 
and having these two outsiders, one from one side of the spectrum, one from the other, like come together and dismantle the system, pretty much. Yeah, absolutely. But yeah. A love story. There is kind of like an inherent homoeroticism in pretty much every buddy cop movie. But usually they're like overcompensating for that by making it really toxically masculine. And this movie just like doesn't do that, you know, which is really nice. They meant for us to read between those lines, I think. Yeah. 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 I was going to give you a giant play by play of the entirety of the movie, but I think we're like touching on the key focal points. And like in the end, what happens is you see this beautiful journey that these two different individuals are taking who are both kind of like lost at sea. One, because he knows what's right and no matter how hard he tries to do what's right, he's constantly being dismissed or dissuaded. And then you have somebody who has kind of just been accepted everything at face value for the entirety of his life, never really done any self-discovery or never really felt the need to grow up as a person. And they end up coming together, supporting each other, and pretty much tearing down, like burn, like blow, pretty much blowing up the town and like starting new with their own sort of... Yeah, because there's corruption within the police station. And so, yeah, he goes against, Danny goes against everything he's ever known to be at this man's side. Yeah, yeah. And yeah, they say partners, but it's more, it's more than partners. It's partners. A, yeah, partners. Capital P partners. <laughs> no. Yes. But I think it's probably the most beautiful love story I have ever witnessed on screen. So <laughs> if you don't mind a little bit, there is a gore factor. And I always forget that. I'm like, yeah, you should watch this movie. He's like, yeah, no, like, yeah, there's some. I watched that movie and it was so bloody. Yeah, I was like, oh, man. <laughs> but Sorry. What, but what love story, right? Right? <laughs> but yeah, no, so yeah, that, that, that's hot fuzz. Yep. Okay, so now to take like a total like <laughs> left turn, um, uh, I'm going to talk about Shakespeare. <laughs> um, very specifically, I'm going to talk about Twelfth Night, but I think just like there is, you know, an inherent homoeroticism to buddy cop movies, we also have to talk about the fact that when Shakespeare was writing plays, women were not allowed to be um, professionals, professional actors. So every female character. Um, in a Shakespeare play was played by a man. Um, so you've already got gender bending and cross-dressing and like all kinds of stuff. And there's plenty of scholarship if you want to dig into that and whether or not Shakespeare was gay or whether or not Shakespeare was secretly a woman. There's plenty of scholarship out there. Go nuts. But I want to talk about Twelfth Night specifically, which does involve some cross-dressing, which I've always been a sucker for, which probably tells you a lot about me and my experience of gender but um this is it's one of my favorite comedies and it's one of the like lesser known comedies so i'm going to give you a plot synopsis trying to follow along there are a lot of people so there are twins okay viola and sebastian and they are on a boat together um during 12th night which is a holiday that nobody pays attention to anymore but it's like in december and the ship goes, there's a horrible storm, the ship goes down, they're shipwrecked, and while this is happening, they are torn apart, and Viola is like pulled into like a rescue boat by the captain and is saved, and like her brother is dead. So she is heartbroken, and then they find out 
that they are know, it's really funny comedy, right? Um, <laughs> so when when they get on shore, they realize they're in Illyria, which is a like country city state that they are at war with. So they're like, oh, this is not great. Um, and so she's this woman alone in the world in a hostile country. It's very vulnerable. And so she decides that for a variety of reasons, she's going to dress up like a man um, and like get a job. <laughs> and so there are these two noble people in this area that she's gonna try and get a job with. And one of them is the Countess Olivia. She's also lost a brother and she's in deep mourning. Um, and so Viola's obviously like, I want to work for her, but her court is essentially closed down. Like they're not like allowing anybody in. And so she finds out that Duke Orsino is in love with the Lady Olivia. And so she's gonna get a job with him. So she does. Um, and he is just like over there pining for Olivia who like won't give men any time of day. And it's like, because men remind her of her brother or something, I don't know. Shakespeare reasons. Yeah, and it's to give men the time of day. It's the truth. Um, so, she like becomes kind of this like footman companion person to the duke um and they become like super close friends <laughs> and viola is like very into him um and the duke is like aren't we just like great buddies so buddies so good buddies with each other and viola is like <laughs> i'm dying and um <laughs> uh but like any i've seen the film of this made in 96 like a million and a half times and i've seen a couple live productions and the like the tension, like the sexual tension between the two of them is like off the charts and totally like that guy that's like, I really like this guy. Like what a great guy, like does not realize like his own like attraction, you know? Um, he's like, I don't know, maybe have some, having some gay panic. It's delightful. Oh yeah, absolutely. Um, and so that's all going down. And so the Duke has this great idea. He's like, I can't get in to see the Lady Olivia, but you're super duper charming. Why don't you go and court her on my behalf? This would be a great plan. Love this plan. Um, like you're really good at talking. And so Viola is like, this is torture, but sure, fine. I'll go win a different woman for you. And so Viola, whose name as a man is Cesario, goes and woos Olivia, who's like really not interested in this whole vibe. Um, and, but she's like kind of charmed by Cesario and she's like, yeah, tell him no thanks, unless he wants to send you again, just to tell me how he takes it. Um, <laughs> so now Olivia is in love with Viola, who she thinks is Cesario. You all with me? Oh, yeah. A lot of names. <laughs> um, so, um, so end up like Cesario gets sent back a couple of times and Every single time, Olivia is like more and more in love. And Viola is like, oh my God, I cannot do this anymore. This is the worst love triangle ever. Everybody's in love with somebody else. And um, it's all confused by the fact that she's got this like hidden identity going on. So while she is going back to the Duke, surprise, Viola's twin is not dead. He survived. They were just separated when the ship went down. And so Sebastian shows up in town, also kind of looking for work, figuring it out. He's like dealing with his grief over his dead sister. And then 
Sebastian runs into Olivia and Olivia is like, you came back. Like, oh my God, I'm so happy to see you. I just like, I don't want you to leave again. I want to marry you. And he's like, what? <laughs> Hot noble woman wants to marry me out of nowhere. Maybe she's crazy, but this seems like a good deal. So like, sure. Um, so they get <laughs> married. Um, and it was just like, oh, so cute. Um, and then for, I forget what reason, doesn't matter. Um, the Duke and the Countess are going to like have a meeting. And so when they show up, Sebastian isn't there yet. He was off having a sword fight for subplot reasons, doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> and so like they show up and Olivia is like, what are you doing with him? Like, why aren't you coming next to me? Like, what's going on, husband? And then the Duke like looks at Cesario and he's like, you have betrayed me. And he is heartbroken. You can see it that like this like person that he is formed this really, really tight, close bond with has betrayed him. Um, and like that betrayal is so much more impactful to him, you can see, than the fact that Olivia is now off the market. Like that, like whatever. Like, but like, <laughs> but Cesario betrayed me. Um, and then like Sebastian walks on screen and everybody's like, what the fuck? And <laughs> then they're like, oh my God, you're not dead. And everybody's like, what's going on? They didn't know what cloning was. So they're all very confused. And so then it's like, everything is fine and everybody gets married because now that they know that Cesario isn't a boy, it's okay that they're into each other. And so they get married and then it's like, it's like the permanent double date situation. Um, but, so that's how it ends. But my, my dream scenario, of course, is that Viola and Olivia end up happily in love together because the Duke Orsino is just like a whiny fuckboy that does not d deserve either of them. <laughs> and like the chemistry between Viola and Olivia is so amazing. It's so, they're so cute together. I absolutely love it. And like, I mean, I would also be happy with like, you know, a triad situation because um, I mean like Sebastian also he was like rescued by this guy named Antonio who was sword, sword fighting reasons over on the corner other whatever um, and they also have this really really close relationship that like Antonio is like literally want a wanted criminal in this country but like brings him because this is where he wants to go and he's like risking his life for Sebastian and so I'm like they are obviously in love with each other um, so like nobody ends up without who they should end up with in my opinion in this play but I also really love how comfortable Viola becomes as Cesario and just I mean the play with with gender and and just like her comfort level and um I think that Shakespeare plays with this a lot. There's a shocking amount of cross-dressing in Shakespeare. I mean, I guess not shocking since everybody was was cross-dressing, you know, during that that time period. Um, and anybody who spent any time in a drama department knows that they, you know, it's not like one through ten Kinsey scale. It's like the Baskin Robbins scale. It's just like there's all <laughs> over the place. Um, but I, I really love this play because her having pretended to be a boy is just like not an issue either. They're like, that's fine. Um, and like that was not even a point of conflict really for anybody. Um, and I really, really love that. I love it when narratives uh, allow people to kind of play with their gender. And so yeah, in my, in my head, 
um, Viola and Cesario can coexist and they can just like go back and forth, <laughs> like whoever they who whoever they want to hang out with and however they're feeling. That would be my my ideal scenario. I love I, it. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, this has been this could be gay. Again, my name's Anya. Um, we thought of this podcast just randomly and decided to make it happen. And this is Wally yes. or Laura. Either one. And you are an editor. I am. You can find me at laurawally.com. I also have business cards if you're interested. <laughs> and you can find me on Instagram as well as This Could Be Gay or Anya Monique. And this is Nathaniel. My name is Nathaniel. Uh, you can find me on the internet. But somewhere. Somewhere. <laughs> but you'll I'm have to out dig there. for it. Yeah. No, my, na- my, my Instagram handle is Winnebago. There's like six pictures. I don't really do much, but if you wanted to talk about anything, I guess we could talk. That'd be fun. <laughs> yeah, I'm up for it. Thank you. Well, we have, we're, we're not quite done. Do, do you guys there's have? There's time for questions. Yeah, there's yeah. time for questions. Do y'all have questions or, um, you know, headcanons, you know, stuff Becky. that you want to see? Well, um, so I've seen a couple live. Um, my favorite that I didn't see live, but just the visuals of it are amazing. There was a stage production where Anne Hathaway plays Viola, and the images of that are like, I mean, if you weren't by before, like, like <laughs> now you are. It's amazing. Um, it, it's just like, like my yeah, thirst trap. Now. It's amazing. Yeah, Google it immediately. It's very good. Um, but so there was a 1996 movie that I really, really love. Helena Bonham Carter plays Olivia. Um, and there's um, Ben Kingsley plays Feste, who's like the wise fool. He's one of my favorite Shakespeare characters. Um, and so that's the easiest one to get because it was like a major, major movie. Um, and it's very good. There's also this like very good scene where Feste plays music and like um Viola Cesario and and the Duke are like um going to they're like drunk and they like go and get a song played and like while they're singing they're just like slowly leaning more and more towards each other and their like lips are like almost touching (laughs) you know and then like the song ends and they're like oh (laughs) (laughs) it's very good Uh, so that one for sure anything else Anybody have any uh, thing that they think should be gay? Oh, <laughs> I see some nods, but no, nobody. <laughs> if you enjoyed the um, cameo discussion of Point Break and um, I almost boys said too. boys to men, but no, boys <laughs> <laughs> um, Aaron up here in the front row is going to be doing an episode about Point Break soon. Oh yeah, so well, stay tuned for stay that. Stay tuned for that. That'll be yes. coming soon. Absolutely. All right. Well, we've been. This could be gay. Thank you. Thank <laughs> you.